You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org. So glad you guys are here. It's good uh, to see everybody. Jason, you want to do me a favor and close those doors? That'd be great. Thanks. So uh, I know it might feel full in here, but uh, it's okay. From my vantage point, there's still a lot of open seats. But in the future, um, if you could just be uh, committed to sitting by one another, if you're not, that would really help us um, fit more people in as we seek to be uh, one service. So I want to keep that in mind. If you're new here, I'm Zach, and I'm one of the pastors here, and it's just a joy to be with you. And you'll hear more about uh, how we would like to welcome you toward the end of the service. So pay attention to that if you're new here this morning. Um, we're so glad that you're here. Real quick, one kind of a vision thing for our church. We've been talking about this, but it's important to have continual, continual reminders. Um, we are taking our serve opportunities so we want to make disciples of neighbors and nations. And on the neighbor's side, a, a real important part of that is serving our city and being a part of the lives of those who are marginalized. That's the, the heartbeat of Jesus. It's the heartbeat of the Bible, uh, the poor, the oppressed, the orphan, the widow. Um, and so we want to be about that as a church as well. We don't want to just be consumers. God didn't call us as Christians to be consumers. He called us to be Servants, that's our identity. Mark 10.45 says that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And so if we're indwelled with the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the Bible says that we are if we're Christians, then our identity, just like his, is one of a servant. And so as a church, we're seeking to adopt about five different ways that we can come alongside and serve those that might be marginalized in our in our city. And you heard about this two weeks ago with a great uh, interview with, um, with Emily Britt and serving international students. And you're going to be hearing about more opportunities uh, in the coming weeks, uh, whether it be those that are um, suffering from being trafficked, uh, folks in a nursing home, uh, our little free pantry, uh, Elizabeth House, single moms that um, are having a hard time in life. And we really want to call you as members to commit to one of these, maybe on like a quarterly basis, if possible. So um, at, there's going to be more, like we're going to build this out with more details for you in the coming weeks, but just want to continue to seed that vision for all of us here that call the Vine your church home, okay? So uh, just be, have your ears attuned to that and... Um, and be checking out opportunities as they are presented on Slack, okay? All right, well, we are in week three of a Madison Multiply preaching series. And again, for those of you who are new, Madison Multiply is our church and two other churches that we have planted in the last 12 years, uh, Redeemer City and Eastside Church, okay? And so we are rotating different preachers from those churches to come and, uh, and, and share the word. And the series that we're in right now is called Learning Evangelism from Jesus. What can we learn from Jesus' evangelistic encounters in the Bible? Whether it's John chapter 4 and the woman at the well, or Luke, um, 
I think it's Luke 19, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Luke 19 and Zacchaeus. Um, what can we learn about how Jesus does evangelism? How does he talk about himself with other people? And so there's so much we can learn and grow in as we share our faith today in Madison. And something I think we can all grow in is how can we have a heart for those that don't know Jesus and make disciples? That's the core of who we are as Christians. And so today we're going to be looking at John chapter 3. If you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to open up to that. Um, you'll see some verses on the screen. Or you could grab your smartphone and just type into your web browser, John chapter 3, or a Bible app. But if you have a Bible, um, we encourage you to bring it and so you can know where things are located. There's also Bibles on the back tables if you need one. If you don't have one, you can have that. So we're going to start in John chapter 3, verse 1, as we learn evangelism from Jesus. And what we're going to see today, what I want you to walk out of here with is, is kind of one big concept. And it's this. Religion equals following rules in your own power. Religion equals following rules in your own power. But Christianity is looking to Jesus to become a new person by God's power. Let me say that again. So religion is, is following rules in your own power. And Christianity, we're going to learn this from Jesus' interaction today in John 3. Christianity, though, in contrast is looking to Jesus to become a new person by God's power. All right? So let's look at John chapter 3, starting in verse 1. It says this, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. There's a lot going on here that we might not understand that it's important for us to, to do. And just as, a, just as a disclaimer, there's a lot of historical Bible, Old Testament things flying around in this text today that I'm just going to have to unpack for us. So hopefully that will be helpful. But the first thing is, who is this Nicodemus guy? Verse 1, there's a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. Well, what does it mean to be a Pharisee? In Jesus' day, the Pharisees were kind of the religious elite. They were the religious hardcore. Like today you hear the pejorative term, he's kind of a Bible thumper, or she's kind of a Bible thumper. Um, and that was the Pharisees in, in, in Jesus' day. They believed that they could receive the favor of God by adherence to the rules of God. They believed that they could kind of, in some sense, force God's hand to bless them or give them what they wanted if they would just obey enough, okay? Obedience to a set of rules would lead to salvation. So they were really good at piling up lists of good deeds and, and keeping track of with minutia, if they had spreadsheets, they would have used it back then to keep track of everything that they did in terms of obedience. Salvation earned through good works. Well, not much has changed in the heart of humanity because, as Martin Luther said, all of us, by nature, are hopelessly meritorious. Meritorious. 
Meaning, we're always trying to display our merit, our earning power, or adherence to the subjective rules that we create for ourselves or that the culture creates for us. Do you know any relig- religious people like that? Do you see that in your own heart? That we're a lot like Nicodemus. We all have that kind of pharisaical mindset just by nature. If we just do enough good things, if there's a God, then he'll be obligated to save us because of my good works. Like if you ask anybody that's not, even, that's not a Christian, like if there's an afterlife, do you think you will go to heaven, you go to hell? And most people will say, I think I'm a pretty good person, right? Meaning I've done a, enough good things or I probably tipped the scales in my favor. I mean, that's just the religion of Islam with roughly a billion adherents in our world today. The religion of Islam is do enough good works and then hopefully God will save me on the last day. It's Judaism. It's almost every single religion in the world today. Follow the rules and you'll be saved, right? It's do, 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 do. Just work hard enough, do enough good so it outweighs the bad, and then God will be obligated to look at the ledger sheet at the end of your life, run the profit loss scenario, and see if you've earned it. That's even so many people in our world today who are, who are just like Nicodemus. They just might have a different criteria of goodness than he had, but it's the same heart. Everybody, almost everybody you run into, as we think about learning evangelism from Jesus, will run into folks with a Pharisee-type mindset, just like Nicodemus. Obedience to a set of rules leads to salvation. What we see in our modern world is this, this new term that's come about in the last five years or so. It's this idea of virtue signaling. Like, what is virtue signaling? It's basically displaying to people in a public way through social media that I'm following the rules as the culture sets the rules, right? It's letting people know that I'm adhering to the standards, that I'm a good person, right? I'm showing my good deeds. It's just an example of how we're all like Nicodemus in some sense. Even if we say we're not religious, Everyone is religious in this sense, right? And that's why this text can really apply to our interactions and learning evangelism from Jesus because everybody's religious like Nicodemus, right? What would I mean by that? Well, because what is religion? Like I remember an interaction I had with someone when I, when I worked a, a part-time job when we first moved here to Madison and just talking about me being a pastor and you know, I, I asked him, you know, do you have any faith convictions or spiritual convictions that you, that you follow? And he's, the answer often comes, no, I'm not really that religious. And I said, you know what, I, I really believe that everybody's religious. And I got to explain to him what I mean. What I mean is everybody has a set of ultimate values, right? Everybody has a set of ultimate values. It's, you, you can't really be human without it. Right? 
There's a set of ultimate values, things that I orbit around in my life that give my life meaning and purpose. And if I follow the rules of what, those, what that thing is, then I'll achieve some sense of salvation, however that's defined, right? Like, I would go so far as to say this. I saw a billboard recently in Madison from the Freedom From Religion Foundation. And their headquarters are here in Madison. I don't know if you knew that. Um, and I would say, even though their slogan is Freedom From Religion Foundation, they're just as religious as we are. Why? Because they have a set of ultimate values. And the ultimate value is we need to get rid of religion. And if we get rid of religion, the world will be a better place, and they mean organized religion. And if we get rid of that, the world will be a better place, and the world being a better place without organized religion equals salvation, right? Got to do, do, do to achieve some things, to achieve salvation. So everybody, by definition, is religious, just like Nicodemus. Just do A, B, C, and D will be saved. And Jesus, this morning, in this scenario, in this conversation, has something profound to say to religious people. It's kind of shocking, actually. We'll get there in a second. But remember, religion is following rules in your own power. Christianity is looking to Jesus to become a new person by God's power. Let's look back at the text Verse 1, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So what's Nicodemus saying here? I mean, it sounds pretty nice at the outset, right? We notice that you're a teacher come from God. We see the miracles that you're doing. And we ascribe that somehow that is associated with divine power, the presence of God in some sense. A lot of people are willing to say that Jesus was a good guy, right? Like, if you just ask somebody, like, what do you think of Jesus? There's not a lot of people that will say he was an idiot or he was crazy. Most people have heard some things that Jesus has said. Maybe if they've never even read the Bible, there's cultural slogans that we even have, like, turn the other cheek. And people can, in some sense, appreciate that, right? Or that we should be forgiving of other people. People can kind of understand that that's good. Or when Jesus hangs out with marginalized people and advocates for those on the margins, of society. People resonate with that and recognize that's a good thing. They might even say that he's divine in some sense. Like followers of Islam say that Jesus was a great prophet. Wasn't the son of God. They reject the Trinity, but they'll recognize that he had good things to say. But look at how Jesus evangelizes that kind of person. Nicodemus being first in line here in our text. He says to him, religion, your religion, Nicodemus, doesn't go far enough. Look at verse 3. Jesus answered him, truly, truly. Just as a side note, anytime Jesus says truly, truly, that's him 
just underscoring it. He's like saying, listen up. Listen up. This is as true as it gets. It's like him saying, if you hear anything, hear this. So he says to Nicodemus, real straightforward, real underlined, truly, truly, I say to you, verse 3, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So what's he saying? He's saying, Nicodemus, you see, you think you see God things in me? You think you see the divine in me? He's like saying, brother, unless you are born again, what you see is not what you think you see. Like, what you see is falling very much short unless you're born again. You really want to know God. If you really want to be able to see God like you think you see, Nicodemus, you've got to go much farther. You have to be born again. And that's like, Nicodemus is like, what are you talking about? Like, that sounds kind of crazy. I mean, if you, you can ma- put yourself in Nicodemus' shoes, right? You imagine here, like, Christians, we hear this all the time, but that's the problem with familiarity with our Bibles is, man, that, that's a weird statement that Jesus says, if you can imagine being in Nicodemus' shoes, right? And that's what he responds with. Look at verse 4. Nicodemus said to him, how can, this, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? No, obviously not, Nicodemus, right? Ladies, thank goodness. That's not how it works, right? Yeah. And so he's just thinking in strictly physical terms. Can't do the birth process twice. Jesus continues. Look at verse 5. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now let's stop and and become students of the Bible really quick. Look at verse 3 in comparison with verse 5. And what you're going to see is Jesus is just repeating himself. Okay? You look at verse 3, he starts with truly, truly. You look at verse 5, he starts with truly, truly. Verse 3 is must be born again. Look at verse 5, you must be born of water and spirit. In verse 3, it's enter the kingdom of God. In verse 5, it's see the kingdom of God. Oh, I'm sorry, I I screwed that up. It's the other way around. Verse 3 is see, verse 5 is enter. Right? You see that? So Jesus is just rephrasing what he already said in verse 3 in verse 5. Now there's an important detail that we need to see in verse 5. And it's this phrase, born of water and of spirit. Okay? There's a lot of Old Testament things flying around here that I want you to see. That that Jesus assumes that Nicodemus, as an Old Testament guy would really have appreciated. And he's a little surprised that he doesn't, that he doesn't connect these things when he talks about being born again. So many centuries before this conversation took place, there was a prophet named Ezekiel. He prophesied to God's wayward people that, that did not listen with ears to hear and were constantly just not believing God's word by faith 
and turning the other way. But Ezekiel comes and he says to them, there's coming a day when. There's coming a day when. There's going to be a new point in history when something amazing is going to happen. And this is what Ezekiel said in verse 36. Or I'm sorry, chapter 36. And see how this connects to the conversation as we've seen it thus far, okay? See how you can connect Ezekiel's words to the conversation happening in our text in John 3. Ezekiel said this many centuries before, I will sprinkle clean water upon you, God's people. So Ezekiel's speaking for God. And you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. How would you summarize what Ezekiel is saying here? What's this language sound like? How does that connect to what Jesus talked about being born again? Jesus is simply telling Nicodemus, a very religious guy who thinks he has an eye for seeing the work of God in the world, which he sees in Jesus, just saying, your eye's not enough. Like Ezekiel said, you have to have an organ transplant. You have to be a, a new person. The old person has to die the new has to come, right? You have to be fully cleansed. You will be clean. It's all metaphorical language for becoming a new person. Becoming a new person. You were born once physically, and you were alive physically. You have to be reborn spiritually and become alive spiritually. A new creation. And that's what Jesus says to Nicodemus as he evangelizes him. Let's keep reading in, in verse 6. He just explains this. He says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So you're bo born by your mother once. And now you need to be born again by the spirit of God. And, and here's the thing, he says to Nicodemus. This is where it gets even crazier and kind of rocks our, our human categories a little bit. What he says to Nicodemus is, you can't control this process. You're not in control of this process. You can't force God's hand. You can't manipulate it. You can't manufacture it. You can't organize it. Look at what he says in verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Let me read that again. The wind blows where it wishes. So There's a metaphor here now, right? He's saying the wind is like something in the kingdom of God. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, 
but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. Like you didn't have anything to do with it. You didn't control it. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Many of you remember some powerful winds that we experienced in Madison. Gosh, it was probably six weeks ago now. I don't even remember. But about five minutes, at our house at least, about five minutes of crazy where the winds, uh, the trees that are usually like this are now like this, you know, all over the neighborhood, tree, huge trees down, crushing garages, you know, landing on people's houses, all over the place. And I remember standing at the window with my son and thinking, man, like, I'm pretty powerless here. Like, the forces of nature, truly something that you have to be humbled by and in awe of, Right? Why? Because we're completely out of control. I didn't do anything to conjure up that wind. There was absolutely nothing I could do to stop that wind. We were literally at its mercy, at the mercy of the wind. And that's what Jesus says to Nicodemus, very religious person. Remember, religious mindset is I can do A, B, and C, and in some sense, control God, because there's just like a, a, um, a reciprocal relationship. It's a transaction, right? A transactional relationship with God. I do good deeds, and you give me heaven, right? Simple. A plus B equals C. And, and Jesus reminds Nicodemus, or any religious person, that's not how it works. You can never put God in your debt, Because that cuts the heart out of mercy. That cuts the heart out of grace. I'm jumping ahead now, but those are the things that are the heart of the gospel. The giver gets the glory. The gracious one gets the glory. The merciful one gets the glory. But he reminds Nicodemus that it's not about you controlling things because you're not in control. God is in control. God is the author of salvation. The wind blows where it wants to. You've got nothing to do with it. See that in verse 8? So Nicodemus is still confused. Some of, us, some of you might be feeling confused. How does this all work? And that's what Nicodemus says. Look at verse 9. Nicodemus said to him, how can these, these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? It's like he's saying, Nicodemus, you're the Bible guy. You're the Pharisee. Like, you, you know Ezekiel. You probably have Ezekiel 36 memorized. You, you know Jeremiah 31, one of the pillars of the new covenant promises in the Old Testament. Jeremiah says, very similar to Ezekiel 36, I'll put my spirit in them and cause them to walk in my ways. Jesus continues, look at verse 11. He, we got truly, truly again, pay attention. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. What he means here is that the hearts of the Jewish people were mainly hard towards Jesus. They didn't have ears to hear. 
And then he says to Nicodemus, verse 12, if I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Like what, what he's saying is this process of being born again is something that happens in the, in the human experience on earth, right? Kind of the first step. And, and he's saying to Nicodemus, if you're not willing to accept this, how can we go on to other things, right? If you can't hear me on the, on the simple earthly stuff, how can we go on to the more complex heavenly stuff? He's trying to give Nicodemus some humility. And then he just kind of gives him an authority. He plays the authority card. And just wants him to know who he's talking to. Verse 13. No one has ascended. As we're on the topic of heavenly things in in verse 12, Jesus continues in verse 13. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. It's like he's saying to Nicodemus, make no mistake, I do have the authority to tell you these things, Nicodemus. Because I descended, I am the Son of Man, and I descended from heaven. Heaven is my home. I know about heavenly things. Thus, I do know about earthly things. So, so what have we learned thus far from Jesus' inter- interaction with Nicodemus? And how to do evangelism with people like us. Everybody has a default setting of being religious. Basically, we learn one thing, right? And on the surface, it might feel confusing or not that helpful in terms of evangelism training. But Jesus has simply told Nicodemus that being religious is not good enough. Virtue signaling is not good enough. Being a doer of good deeds is not good enough. The religion of Islam is not good enough. Buddhism is not good enough. Trying to earn your salvation by amassing a checklist of good deeds and somehow putting God in your debt is not good enough. What is Jesus saying? He's saying you have to become a new creation from the inside out. You have to have a new birth, a new spiritual birth. A new creature has to emerge How does that happen? The challenging part of the text thus far is Jesus is saying, you can't make that happen. You're not the author of your own salvation. Right? It has to happen, but you can't make it happen. If you're a Christian here today, You've turned from your sin and turned toward Jesus in repentance and faith and trusted Jesus as your ultimate treasure and trust. The Bible is explaining to you right now, Jesus is explaining to you right now that you didn't make that happen. Jesus is telling Nicodemus, you can't control it. Now, if you're looking for just raw evangelism training, this isn't usually how it's laid out, right? 
Like, are we supposed to just walk up to people and be like, you need to be a new creation, and you can't do anything about that. All right, see you later. <laughs> right? I've never been to evangelism training class like that. So what is going on here? Well, let's hold on for a second and, and look at these last two verses. And maybe there's more we can glean about what Jesus is doing here. Two more verses that are really helpful, and then we'll be done. But again, we've got to understand our Old Testament. So let me explain one more really important thing. Look at verse 14. So Jesus continues. He's got another metaphor, another illustration. He says, As Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So what is going on here? What is going on here? A lot of Old Testament stuff in this text this morning. So here's the Old Testament backstory that Jesus is referring to that he assumes Nicodemus would understand or remember. Some of you might remember in the room. And if you don't, that's great. I'm going to tell you how it works. So real quick, Old Testament history. Jesus, I'm sorry, um, Jesus is talking about when God's people were rescued from the hand of Pharaoh through the leader Moses, okay? And God comes through Moses and says, let my people go. And they pass through the Red Sea and they're saved and Pharaoh's armies follow behind and the waters come in and they're judged by the water and they die and God's people go free. They pass through the waters of judgment and are free, and they're heading toward the promised land that God said he would give them, okay? Huge Old Testament themes flying around, but we won't get all into that this morning. The problem is, God has kept his promises, and God's people are faithless, and they're, they're on the journey. It's not a comfortable journey to get to the promised land, and they're just complaining constantly, some of them even say, man, let's go back to Egypt. Let's go back to slavery. Like the food at least was guaranteed there. We didn't have to trust God, you know. And so this is an assault on God's goodness. That he just saved them by this miraculous like pillar of the Old Testament history. <clears throat> and they just reject it in their complaining. And they're whining. And so God judges their sin. God judges their sin. And he does it in a pretty dramatic way. He sends, the Bible says, uh, fiery serpents to bite them. And many of them died. He judged their sin. Well, this judgment leads them to repentance. They cry out to Moses as their mediator to mediate on their behalf, and God provides, he answers Moses' prayer of mediation, and God provides a way out from this horrible judgment. And this is Numbers chapter 21. You can go home and read the whole account in Numbers 21. The Lord said to Moses, he's like, here's, what I, here's how I'm going to answer your prayer, Moses. I want you to make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. 
And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it or when he looks to it, shall live. So Moses listened. He did what God said by faith. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Okay, so that's the Old Testament backstory. Now look at verse 14 again of John chapter 3. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, again, here's the analogy. Lifted up. That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. You, f- you feel the parallel? What to do was look Look at the elevated serpent image, and they would be healed. Just look and trust God's provision. And it was done. And Jesus is saying, that whole thing was a foreshadow of the reality. I am the reality. I am the reality. I will be lifted up like that snake was lifted up. And when you look upon me and believe, meaning treasure and trust, you will be spiritually healed. You will be given what Ezekiel was talking about. A new heart, new, new eyes, new ears to hear and, and want to listen to God's word. <clears throat> a new spiritual creation will be brought about. 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, meaning having looked and received and trusted and treasured this, this thing that I had nothing to do with. I'm just looking and I'm believing and I'm trusting it. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. 2 Corinthians 5.17. So if you have a desire, a lot of us have had this experience at some point in your life. You heard the gospel, you you understood what happened in history, you you wanted to come to Jesus by faith, look upon him, trust and treasure him, everything clicked in your head. What we learn today is the only reason that happened is because God did a prior work. You might not have even felt it, but our feelings don't define Christianity, God's word defines Christianity. Let God's word define your experience. So when I became a Christian, I don't remember that God's wind was blowing on my life. But just like the wind, you don't see it, but you see its effects, right? You can't see the wind. You see the effects of the wind. And if anybody comes to Christ, if anybody looks upon Jesus like he's talking about here, then you know that the wind of God's spirit has blown upon them such that it opened their eyes. So we don't get the credit. We don't manufacture it. God gets the glory. So what do we learn about evangelism this morning from Jesus talking to very religious people? Your religion won't save you. The salvation you're looking for, you'll never get there. 
if it's money and, and, and climbing the ladder of good deeds to get that promotion every five years or whatever, and that's your definition of salvation, it's never going to be good enough. Or, or plug in any other scenario. You, your adherence to the strictness of, of whatever laws you're trying to follow won't allow you to see God as you need to see God. If you want to see God, turn away from the coming judgment and look to Jesus on the cross and in the empty tomb. The question ultimately is, are you willing, like he says in verse 14, to look? Are you willing to to just see what God provides? It's the exact same process as these Old Testament people. What did God provide? Are you willing to believe by faith and look to it and trust it? If you're willing to look and believe, trust and treasure, you will be saved. And then you know that verse 8 explains your experience. That the wind of God's spirit has blown upon you to empower you to even want that. So sometimes we make evangelism just way too complicated. Like I think it's okay to sometimes... Just lay some things out and be willing to have people look at you like you have three heads, kind of like Nicodemus was looking at Jesus, right? Like, that's okay. It's okay. Like, this is the content of what has to be shared with people. Verse 14 and 15. What does 15 say? That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Look to Jesus. There is a judgment that is coming, just like that Old Testament scenario. There is a judgment that is coming. Look to Jesus. See him on the cross. See him in the empty tomb. Repent and believe. That's it. Share it. Right? Now, yes, in relationship, there's a thousand nuances we can get into. And there's a lot of different pathways that we're going to get into as you make friends with people and are intentional with them. But let this text also, in addition, as a last point of application, let this text help you take the pressure off. Like, ultimately, what needs to be shared, what people need to hear, is what we've talked about this morning. But God does the work by his spirit. You can't manufacture anybody's salvation. God does that. Look at, remind, remind yourself of verse 8. The wind blows where it wills. You don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born again. So just share it, right? Just share it. And then you know that if anyone comes to Christ, God has done a work. God has done the miracle of raising the spiritually dead. God has done the miracle of the spiritual surgery and a new heart and new eyes and new ears to hear and a new tongue to sing the praises of of Jesus. So that's our job. Our job is not to be verse 8. Our job is to be verse 14 and 15. You with me? But at the core, what we see here of Jesus and Nicodemus this morning is still happening today. It's happening in Ecuador. It's happening in Morocco. It's happening in Madison. God is still making new. God still gives eyes to see and ears to hear. People are still being born again. The question is, are you willing to look and believe. Religion, following the rules in your own power, Christianity, look to Jesus 
to become a new person by God's power. Let's pray. Father, again, we come this morning and we ask for your help. Because apart from you, we can do nothing. It's true. You are the author and perfecter of our faith. We did not love you first, but you loved us first. You, you gave us the right to become children of God. And so, Lord, we come and we want to praise you for that this morning. For anyone here who, who might be wondering if that's them, um, Lord, I pray you would move on them and give them a desire to look and to see, to taste and to see that you are good and to flee from sin and turn towards you, Jesus, as the author and perfecter of our faith. May it be so in Jesus' name, amen.